goodness, speed once again, and he's, oh my goodness, that is huge. It's a white flag for the Cuban. Freddy Tadbo for the posterity. Hi everybody and warm warm welcome to the Triple Jumpers podcast with me Marcus Lombard. Today I meet the American elite coach Jeremy Fisher. Jeremy is the director of the US Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista and he coaches a group of world-class athletes including Will Clay, Brittany Reese and Chris Bernard. As an athlete Jeremy on 229 in the high jump but in this episode we'll focus on his coaching career. We cover his training philosophy, talk about triple jump drills and what qualities you need if you want to be a very very good triple jumper. Jeremy also talks about the technical aspects of the triple jump, the single arm versus the double arm and a lot more. This episode is loaded by a lot of great tips and good thoughts from maybe the best jump coach in the whole world. So let's jump into the fifth episode of the Triple Jumpers podcast with Jeremy Fisher. Warm welcome to the Triple Jumpers podcast, Jeremy Fisher. Well, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, doing well. Just a nice, uh, relaxing uh, Sunday before uh, the season starts. Okay, so for those who doesn't know who you are, who is Jeremy Fisher? Um, so my name is Jeremy Fisher. I'm the director of uh, track and field for the residence program for USA Track and Field. So uh, I have uh, I'm in charge of we're at Chula Vista. It used to be Olympic Training Center, but now it's bought out by a private company. And uh, there we have about 30 athletes in residence um, with anywhere in the field events. So you know gold medals like Ryan Krauser, uh, Brittany Reese, Jeff Henderson, Will Clay, uh, Darrell Hill. Um, anywhere from shot put, uh, multi-events, all field events for uh, USA. And then uh, also work with some uh, international athletes from time to time. And uh, um, and I've been there for a few years, worked co- collegiately, and uh, also head of uh, coaching education for both IAAF and uh, USA Track and Field. Um, so you're basically one of the most respected jump coaches uh, in the world. And that's what we are going to focus in, in in this episode. But to start, you actually had a track and field career in your early days and you jumped 229 in the high jump, um, which is pretty good considering you're only 1.75 meters. Um, tell us about your athletic background and what eventually got you into coaching. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh like track was a secondary thought. I didn't even start track and field until I was 15 years old. So, you know, unlike uh, Stefan Holm who started jumping at like four years old, I was the exact opposite on the spectrum. And, uh, I basically, uh, really started competing in track my sophomore year in high school, which is, uh, our second year of our high school before we go to college in the States. And, uh, I was a soccer player or football player as we call most of the world. Um, I loved that, but got, kind of got bored with it. And then uh, I started playing uh, basketball and loved basketball, but I could dunk, but I was too short and uh, too small. I was very thin, too, so I was only about, you know, 60 kilos. And uh, so I I could jump, though, jump really well. So I went to high jump, and the first year I did it really for a full year, I jumped uh, 213. And then I jumped uh, 219 as a junior and then jumped uh, 224 as a senior in high school and uh, was like number one in the U.S. and one of the top in the world. And that helped me to go to college. And in college, I, I, I wanted to be a doctor. I had no intent of being a track coach at all. Like that wasn't even on my radar. Um, I, I figured I'd be a, a doctor first. Uh, if I couldn't do, you know, be a doctor, then I might be uh, like a a physical therapist or something like that, but nothing, you know, still stay in sports, but not, not be a coach. And, uh, just by circumstance, I was training for the Olympic trials in 2020. And I, um, started to, uh, they asked me to coach, like be a GA or help out with the college track team. Why well, I went to the university of Wisconsin and, uh, I loved it. 
and after two weeks I kind of you know told everyone I'm like no I'm I'm, I'm gonna coach I love it so uh, started educating myself started getting degrees that helped me because my my degrees in college were nutrition and molecular biology and had a master's in nutrition and then I had to go back and be like you know what I need to get something in biomechanics exercise physiology and uh, study there so I went to a small school in Southern California uh, and was coaching and, and it's called Cal State Northridge and was coaching and uh, also working on a, on a master's there and then went to University of Oklahoma and then now been at the Olympic Training Center for uh, for eight years now okay um, but when when did you finish your track and field career as as an athlete um, so I, I actually was forced to because uh, I actually had a pretty solid year in 2000, but missed the Olympic team, which I, that's kind of what I was training for. And I kind of was still training because I wanted to try to, you know, give myself a shot in 2020, 2004. And uh, I actually tore my Achilles tendon um, oh. um, in 2004. And that was kind of definitely okay you're done uh get into you know i was already coaching but it was more like okay now you're a full-time coach you you're, you're uh done competing as an athlete so uh that, that's basically i was done in 2000 for the most parts 2001 uh and then started but i really started concentrating on coaching in 2004 and uh was getting coaching certifications from iaaf and usa <clears throat> track and field and getting a whole bunch of certifications and weightlifting and all those different things while I was, uh, that's when I got pretty serious about it between, uh, 2001 and 2004 for sure. And at the university of Oklahoma, you, mm -hmm. you first started training Will Clay. Has he followed you ever since or? Uh, so there was a little bit of time. There was one year, um, when I left Oklahoma, he's still in school and, uh, the situation wasn't the best there. So Will and I kind of, uh, the, the coach who I had a lot of mentors, uh, out in, in the coaching profession in the United States, the, the coaches who were kind of the, the well-known coaches were Dan Paff and another coach, Boo Schexnader. Um, and those were, uh, the main and, and obviously Dick Booth. And I just was enamored by Dick Booth cause I grew up in that career when I started learning about track and field, the university of Arkansas, was where you went. I mean, they had Jerome Romain, Mike Conley, Brian Wellman, Eric Walder. I mean, you're talking guys who, you know, all jumped over, you know, got, Eric Walder jumped 874 and, and, you know, obviously Conley and those guys, I don't even have to, you know, talk about their uh, yeah. credits and, and so resumes. And so I just was so enamored by what he did and his style was so different. You know, he wasn't, this huge scientist guy, but he, you know, he's, everything made sense in what he did. And, and, you know, he showed me some, you know, little trading logs and stuff. And I just thought that was great. And at the time, Will's biggest, um, you know, we always, we always have believed and I've always believed as if you really want to make yourself better, then you've got to compete against the best or train with the best. And so when, uh, at the time Christian was at Florida and I had left Oklahoma. So at about March, or April, I knew I was leaving, um, Oklahoma. <clears throat> My dad was not feeling good, uh, well, and I had to move back and kind of take care of him. And I just was done living in Oklahoma. And, uh, so Will and I started kind of reaching out to coach Booth and saying, you know, I, I did actually, and was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave, but I'd really like Will to come train with you and Christian. And so I came out to the training center and Will went to University of Florida and you know, he was there one year that was, uh, Will Christian and Omar Craddock, they all trained together. And, uh, um, so he was there for that year and then he actually went pro professional and he actually moved out in June of that, of that same year. So we, and then, uh, in 2013, uh, you know, part of the thing was Will had to go back and get his degree and finish his, you know, college. So, we were kind of apart in 2013, even though, you know, I kind of helped him a little bit, but, uh, for the most part, uh, we weren't together that year, but, uh, yeah, we've basically been together on and off since 2009. Or, and that's when uh, I started working with Will. And that's when he went from 1560 to 1724 that year. Oh, that's good. So we know that Will Clay is in your, group and i also interviewed another of your athletes a couple of weeks ago chris bernard uh 
who else is in a training group at the moment? So at the moment, uh, Brittany Reese, um, obviously no <laughs> long jumper. Um, uh, Kylie Price, who's a 677 long jumper. Um, Maddie Richards, who just graduated from USC. She's like 652, I believe. Um, a oh Gosh, I'm trying to think. I have a bunch of Paralympic athletes. Lex Gillette, who's the world record holder in the T11, which is completely blind. Yeah. Um, Trenton Merrow, who's one of the top uh, um, below-the-knee amputees, uh, long jumpers. Uh, gosh, who else? Toby. I mean, um, Isaac, uh, Jean-Paul. I mean, oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, two high jumpers, Brian McBride and Ricky Robertson, who 235 and 232 high jumpers. And uh, Corey Crawford, 822 long jumper. So um, I know I'm missing uh, a couple people, but, uh, you know, we have a really solid group. And in the past, you know, I've been worked. Uh, Troy Doris was one of the original gangsters. So when he was still jumping for the U.S., he actually trained with me at the center also. And so uh, I've, uh, you know, we've had quite the group. Tyron Stewart in the past, he he was U.S. champ, jumped 839, 822 indoors. And so I've, I've been lucky. I've, I've worked with great athletes and stuff. And, um, you know, and like I've learned that not all athletes you know, just because they're good doesn't mean you can coach them well. But uh, um, I've had a, been fortunate to have a really good group of kids that I really, really like and who I still talk to to this day. And let's talk uh, more about specific track and field training uh, and especially triple jump training. Um, first of all, tell us about your like general coaching philosophy about how to train like a triple jumper well i you know triple jump is it's funny because obviously being a high jumper that was one of my first um kind of loves but uh triple jump has definitely grown to be uh one of my favorite events and i love triple jump because of the complexity of the event i mean it's funny I, i still listen to some triple jumpers who were very successful triple jumpers who uh um, you know, accomplish a lot in their career. And it's, it, you know, and I'll have conversations with them and not to, you know, call anybody out or anything like that, but it's, it's amazing to, to see how much they don't know about their event. And, uh, it, you know, the, you know, all the physiology and the biomechanics of, of the triple jump, you know, you saw it, I think the French, uh, had a paper that came out maybe two years ago that said triple jumpers are some of the best athletes because they have to handle close to 25 times their body weight. Now, we've never seen that much. I think the most we've ever seen is like 17 or 18 times body weight. Um, but, you know, the point being is on a single leg support, you're supporting a lot of uh, what you're trying to um, do. And so I think the way I look at triple jump is I look at the event and then I kind of reverse engineer it, meaning that uh, I want to train the body to handle the forces that will be needed and uh, to be successful in the event. So if I sit there and, and, you know, we know that, we know that we're going to be on single support for something, you know, close to 20 times our body weight, then I need to make sure that the tendons, the ligaments, uh, you know, the feet, everything is uh, successful. I mean, is uh, built up and, and can endure that kind of forces and so forth. So um, that's, that's kind of how I build, you know, each event um, from the first you know, jumping events obviously is what I'm, what I'm, uh, what I uh, look at and stuff like that. Now, there's individuality. I mean, Chris Bernard and, and Will Clay are two different athletes. I mean, for sure. And even as I've had Chris, um, I think when I got Chris, he was 16, 60, or 70, or something like that. And now he's, you know, 17, 48 guy, and literally, you know, he had a foul. And you know, I don't like to talk about fouls, but I mean, the kid is ready to jump. 1770 1780 here shortly i really believe that and so uh um but training him and will are just com- two completely different athletes and they've rarely actually even trained with each other and so um um you have to know the basis of the event on how to build it which is you know you got to be able to run you've got to be able to have good uh support um you meaning balance and proprioception and stuff like that and then you you've got to be strong also and then uh, the last is reactive strength and being able to you know hit the ground with about as much force as possible and, and then uh you know get off that force and so uh it's definitely out of all the events more a progression event than any other one meaning that you've got to take your time 
to progress through certain things. If you can't land, if you don't know how to land, then you can't bound and, or in even a simple bound. And if you can't do a simple bound, then you can't do a more, you know, complex bound or like a cycle bound and, and so forth. And so, you know, it's a lot like, uh, you know, um, math where you've got to learn a principle first to uh, learn, you know, it for later on. And that's, you know, like how I see the triple jump. And um, what about drills? Uh, I see you do a lot of uh, box drills on Instagram and a lot of... Uh, like a drill it's like a step off a box and then another step and a hop and a jump uh tell us about your uh, favorite drills yeah so um you know kind of each drill has a purpose so even like you know the box drill that you're you're kind of explaining and and kind of i've put up and so forth they they have different purposes so Uh, one of the drills we were doing more recently that was on on um, I posted on IG was uh, we we were off a box and we do a cycle. So if they went right, right, left, it would be a, a right off the box, land on the right, do another right cycle, and then land on your left and finish. And so that was really working on the hop in that first phase and working on trying to get the power off. Um, and we do it off about a, a you know, about a 10 centimeter box um, just because then it adds a little bit more vertical forces and, and, you know, simulates closer to competition and the forces that we need. And so uh, that's the site, that's the purpose of it. Now, later on, I'll throw another box in right off the second uh, cycle um, in just because then we actually then will work on that cycle when I feel like they've mastered it. And then we'll also, Then I'll throw that another box in so that we actually can work on the jump, the um, the jump part of, of the triple jump too, and so the next phase of it. And so, it, it each drill is trying to accomplish different things for uh, different uh, parts of the jump. But my philosophy is 90% of the jump is accomplished in the run and off the board. And so, um, you know, two of the best jumps I've ever seen, uh, well, three of the best jumps, obviously, it, technically was Christian when he jumped 1821, Teddy when he jumped uh, 1804, and how he technically was in Moscow in 13. Um, and I got to you know sit, watch it firsthand because I was helping Will then. And then, uh, obviously, Jonathan when he was jumping his 18-meter-plus jumps. And so those were all beautiful technical jumps, you know, and, and um, not saying that, you know, Pablo's wasn't great or Kenny's weren't great, but just from a technical standpoint, and if I'm trying to teach athletes, those are probably the three parts where I'm actually, you know, trying to uh, technically teach those athletes good things. And so knowing that I, I try to use drills to kind of solidify, um, you know, different kind of drills. So one of the big problems we have with females is them keeping their leg tucked, um, their free leg tucked too too much and if they keep it short it's the free uh the jump leg cycles faster and actually too fast and so uh, one of the drills i like is for them to drop and touch at the top of a wicket and cycle over it and that teaches them to get their leg long and so that was just something i came up with that i never saw but i was like okay i need to accomplish this and let, let me think of a drill that i could do that and so that's you know how half the drills that i've seen Uh, have been created okay um and i've also heard that you're a fan of the two minute drill um tell us about that yeah so you know being in san diego i actually get to see and uh be with uh and and and, and it's got to be at the right time and that's that's the thing i think people have to understand because i remember one time i posted it and some you know pretty well-known coaches kind of took took uh um You know, they, they didn't like it too much. The fact that, you know, hey, what is this CrossFit for track and field? And I'm like, actually, it was funny because uh, it was actually a drill from one of the coaches' athletes. You know, so I was kind of like, like, what are you doing? Like talking bad about the drill that, you know, your athlete, you know, showed me. And that was a, it was actually the drill. I'm, it's completely from Willie Banks. I mean, it's a Willie Banks drill. And, uh, you know, I, I have loved it. I mean, I absolutely love it. But you know, it's a very early season, um, drill. It's not, it's something that's, uh, you know, done, you know, when we're trying to get fitness and, you know, we're trying to, uh, incorporate some of the co ground contacts and stuff, but the timing of it, it's gotta be right. And so, 
um, early on when, uh, you know, we're kind of building our base and building what we need to do to build the athlete, then it's a good drill. I would never use it during season, but I love the two minute drill and the athletes love it. They really do. They are kind of like, you know, if, if you've ever done it, uh, it's a hard, hard, uh, drill to do. I mean, it, it's tiring. And, uh, I remember when the athletes get done, they breathe so heavy are so hard that they're coughing afterwards because they're, they're, you know, really, uh, digging into their, uh, their lungs and their oxygen and so forth like that. And so, um, I like it early season and, and the athletes like it and, you know, you incorporate instead of running, you know, uh, uh, let's say eight two hundreds, the deal will be, Hey, we'll do one set of two minute drill and we'll reduce it to four two hundreds. And the athletes are like, yeah, that sounds great. And then they, they're like, Ooh, I forgot how much that hurts. <laughs> yeah. And what about the, the weight room? What are your exercises in, in the weight room? So, you know, I'm, I'm probably non-traditional American. Um, we don't, you know, everything I kind of look at, we don't really lift a uh, very, rarely do we really lift over um 80 of our estimated one rm in the weight room ever and uh, i think that's because uh in america we're definitely about strong <laughs> and i do believe in strength but i don't believe it's strength to uh to hamper what we're trying to do on the track the weight room should complement what we're doing on the track and so uh You know, if you just kind of look at my year and the way I set it up, it's definitely we go from just a basic like introduction, like four week process. Then we go into strength and in the strength period, we're probably only about 80, maybe 85 percent of our, you know, um, max lifts in certain lifts. Um, then we go to a strength endurance, which the athletes always hate, but it's really, really good because in that strength endurance, what you do is you get a high you know, increase of uh, testosterone and, and hormones because, you know, it's like CrossFit people. Why are they so muscular? Because, you know, if they're not cheating, they're because they're doing reps to mat, you know, they're doing uh, mat lifts until exhaustion. And so you can see the hormonal, you know, benefits from it. So we do that for about 10 to 12 weeks. I'm really careful about uh, hypertrophy, making sure that the athletes don't gain too much weight because strength to weight ratio is so important. Then after, uh, you know, strength endurance, we get into uh, um, eccentrics. So, you know, where you're doing eccentric lifts, we use the K-Box a lot during this time. Um, and we do, you know, negative squats, things like that. Um, then we go from eccentrics, we'll do a little bit of isometrics. And then uh, we get into uh, power strength, uh, power speed, power strength, and then power speed. And then in that time, too, as, as the lifts go, they go from very general to more specific lifts. And so, um, you know, we may do, you know, a thing for me would be weight vest or resisted, you know, bounds and stuff later in the year where we would do that as much early on and stuff. And so uh, it definitely becomes from general to specific and it goes, you know, through those different uh, factors of uh, weight training and weight lifts. And obviously the sets and reps go anywhere from, you know, three sets of 10 to, you know, uh, five sets of three and so forth like that, depending on, on what lift we're doing. And I think that, uh, you know, only lifting like 85%, as you said, probably it's good because, uh, you know, you're not trying to be weightlifters. Exactly. And... Exactly. And, 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 and again, I don't, my biggest thing is if you gain five pounds or let's say two kilos of muscle mass because of the weight room, that's bad. <laughs> you know, I want you to be able to, you know, squat, um, 150 kilos at 68 kilos. You know, I don't want you to, you know, lift 150 kilos and then get up, gain two kilos from, from doing that. And so I'm very conscious of, um, those kind of factors. And so I think, uh, that's kind of, you know, the key too, is to make sure you keep the weight off while you're getting stronger. And, and that's, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to balance for sure. And what about testing? Do you test your athletes a lot or are you not into that? Um, I used to test a lot more, but you know, at, at this level, at the level I've had my athletes and I have athletes from 22, 23 to about 30 years old, it just it gets to a point where like testing isn't really 
doing much. I mean, I think people test to check and see, hey, am I ready to do this? But I don't need testing anymore, really, to like prove that. Like, it's you know, as a perfect example, we tested early on just this year in 2000, the year before the Olympics, we do test. So in the year in 2015 and here in 2019, we kind of test in the weight room and we test on the track a little bit more. And uh, we test to see kind of where we're at as far as strength levels and things like that. But, um, you know, the athletes know. I mean, at this level, they know they're getting faster. They know they're getting stronger. And, you know, I, I hate to say it. I've been doing this for such a long time. I know exactly kind of where they're at. And, you know, we'll do other little testing. So we'll, you know, run flying 30s or 20s and we'll do a little bit of uh, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, if you look at Will Will Clay, I mean he's he he long jump, he's standing long jumps about three thirty, you know he'll do the three hop about ten fifty, he'll overhead shot only about fourteen meters, and uh, he'll uh, run a thirty in about three six or so something three sixty something or something like with the one meter lead in, and I mean so that's not going to change a lot over the year i mean i know later in the year he'd make it a little faster and a little bit more powerful but it's not going to change much you know and and there's actually athletes like troy doris is one of the greatest testers i have i mean he you know he's you know testing wise he's i think he's like 375 in the standing long jump he's uh, 1160 in the three hop overhead shot like 16 17 meters and uh you know 360 low in, in the 30 and so um but if you take the two athletes, Will's jumped, you know, 1805 or 1791 when, when legal, and Troy's jumped 1720-something or 30-something, you know. So so it, it, testing only t- tells you so much. And, and then the higher the athlete is, I think the less it tells you, for sure. Yeah. And actually you're, like, testing every time you, you train. You, yeah. you, al- you always exactly. see where, where the athletes... Uh, how the shape is and yeah and, and as you, you know i mean you were you, you were a jumper yourself right yeah 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 so you knew exactly when you were ready and, and so you sat there and you were like okay i you know let's say it was a, a eight step jump and you jumped 16 meters and you were like okay i'm ready i know i'm ready you know or whatever it may be and so i think those are better indicators of uh you know readiness and so forth like that uh for you know an athlete of course You've got, and, and, you know, even like for us, for Will, when I know he's ready, it's like a 120, you know, where Chris, I know he's ready because he, he'll from 12 steps or 10 steps jumps over 17 meters. And then I'm like, okay, I know he's ready. I know he's ready to, you know, jump far. So it's just different for different athletes. And so for testing's great. I know the Europeans tend to more love testing a little bit more than we do, but um, I just, I've gotten to the point where the, I know exactly where, what the athletes are ready to do. When I look at your athletes' progression through the years, it's clear that they progress pretty much year after year and stay on a consistent and very high level. Um, what do you think is the key to to continue to develop uh, year after year? You know, I, it, it's definitely change. It, it's it's looking, it's individuality with the athlete, and so if if you look, I, I think coaches get caught up there's i think there's two extremes of a coach there's one coach who has a system who who basically you're almost doing the same thing every year and uh you get to a point where you know after about three to four years you you just you're tired of doing the same thing from a psychological standpoint and you kind of just plateau like you you don't get better and you don't get worse but you just kind of stay there or get hurt, which is the other thing. And then you have athlete coaches who change things every single year. And I think I do a good mix of both. I mean, I stay in, in, in things that work, but I may change them up a little bit. And so, um, you know, we uh, let's say that for you as specifically as, as, a, as an athlete, um, you know you like to do a four-step triple jump and and that that's your kind of go-to and that's successful for you i'll still keep that in but i'll change some of the parameters around it like certain lifts or certain you know runs maybe instead of like 
you know, 150, you may, may run a 120 or where everyone else is running fly 90s, you may run fly 60. So I kind of work with what, you know, kind of works for that athlete. That's, that's, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, keeping on the individuality of the athlete and uh, changing training from uh, year to year. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, okay, then. So according to you, what are the key qualities that you need if you want to be a great triple jumper? Um, you know, I think, <clears throat> and I think people underestimate this value, but you definitely have to um, be kind of almost meticulous in your work. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is that as a triple jumper, it's not like the other events. I mean, no offense. I love the long jump. Don't get me wrong. And I, and I, you know, obviously been very successful as a coach in the long jump, but in the long jump, you can almost just run and jump. I mean, you, if you get really fast, you can be actually pretty successful in the, in the long jump, but in the triple jump, you have to like make sure that you're in a good position and everything else like that. I mean, you can name maybe two times in history where a guy had a phantom jump that was just further than any other jump that he ever jumped. You know, it's like, you, you know, you, I can name him is Sharif El Sharif. I think he jumped like 1770, but he was like a, what, a 1690, 17 meter triple jumper. He had that yeah. one like at world mm-hmm. youth or college, whatever he had this amazing jump. And then the other one was, uh, the Indian record holder. The guy was like a 1630 or 40 guy and he jumped 1731, you know, but those are like two times where like this guy, like, you know, a person went almost a meter further, but for the most part, you don't get that. But in the long jump, like you said, I mean, it's called the beaming. I mean, you've seen guys who foul and, you know, they foul a nine meter jump and they're like an eight meter long jumper or something. And so, um, in the triple jump, it's so much more meticulous. And, and, and that's the thing that, you know, as, as an athlete, you have to, you know, be conscious of, you have to make sure you're landing relatively flat foot on any of your contacts and you have to do it all the time you have to have repetition and practice and you have to be conscious of that you have to be conscious of your arm synchronization with your legs and you have to be conscious of even the most simplistic drill those things have to be so keyed in and tuned in because those carry over as the uh, intensity of your um, activity happens and so i love that about the triple jump and i love the fact that that's what you know, good triple jumpers have to concentrate on that. And then the other thing is like, because it, it's so hard there. I've, I mean, I've had triple jumpers who could jump all day, you know, for the most part, but you really have to be careful on how many repetitions you do. I mean, I'm always in the, in the triple jump, like long jump, the athletes will be like one more and I'll be like, okay, okay. In the triple jump athletes will be one more. I'm like, nope, you're done. You know, it, it really, you're walking a fine line of, uh, um, training smart and uh you know just uh training hard and and that's that that's that's a huge key with with athletes and especially the triple jumpers and you named the the arm synchronization uh what are your opinions about uh, the double arm action versus the single arm action you know it's funny i don't i don't teach either one i mean i just teach whatever's comfortable for the athletes so i don't sit there and say Hey, you know, because obviously I get athletes so far along in their career that, uh, you know, that it's hard to change. Um, like with Troy Doris, when we first got him, he had a double arm, but it was so bad because he lose so much posture as he came in. So he'd take his arms and he'd bring them back and his chest would come forward. So we worked on we worked on for two years. We worked on a double, but we almost did. You know, we watched Christian Olsen's double and how effective it was. And how, you know, he, he kept his posture and he did kind of like a, a, a shorter, you know, back um, gather before he went. And I'm like, okay, Troy, that's what we got to look like. And so, um, and same with and the Will, if you've seen, we've actually switched him to kind of like a one um, and a half almost kind of like. So we changed his arm carry a little bit too. So um, it, it's I try to like do what's comfortable with the athlete, but I want them to be efficient. So I want them to be as efficient as they can be as they're coming off the board. Yeah. And what about, you know, you rarely see any women jumping uh, with a double arm action. What, why do you think uh, that's the case? Um, I think, uh, honestly, I mean, I think it, there's a couple factors in it. I mean, uh, 
I think like you'll, yeah, I think the last one was, what, what was the African girl from Cameroon who won 2008 because she jumped like 1540 or something like that. And I think yeah. she was put into Dubai, I forget, but, uh, um, and Bang, and Bangor they, or something. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but I think for the most part, I think because of the timing of their cycle and stuff, I think it's easier for them to do a single and women tend to have more flexibility and, uh, in regards to that. And so it's just, I, I think it has a lot to do with the biomechanics of the way the athlete and so forth are built. Because I mean, women's triple jump is completely almost different event almost than the men, not, not from a training standpoint, but from a technical standpoint for sure. And, uh, yeah, you, you're going to see much more over the top or kind of, you know, with Krista Markov kind of uh, um, technique and stuff like that. But I think that uh, really like, and, and I've worked with a few women, you know, I've, I've had about three 14 meter triple jumpers on the women's side, which in the U.S. is actually pretty good. Uh, I know in the world it's pretty poor, but uh, they, I, I think they're so young when they start too. And so I think, uh, um, they don't get the time to be able to adapt. Um, I did have a athlete, Tony Smith, who went single, double, double. And, uh, you know, she had jumped like 14, 12, I think, or something like that. But it took a while to get to there. And so I think timing is a big thing. They just are taught, you know, the single arm and they go with it and so forth. And they perfect it. But I also think it has to do with, you know, I mean, you think a guy's going 18 meters, a woman's going 15 meters. That's that's just a whole different timing in the air and everything else like that. I don't think they have as much time on their cycles to be able to kind of gather their arms and be in position for it. So, you know, it, and then the flexibility issues and everything else. So it's a great question, and, and I've thought about it, but I just, you know, I don't have a definitive answer for it. But on the other hand, then, um, you know, in in, like... The 70 meter plus jumpers right now, I think it's only Nassim Babayev that's jumping single, single, single. Um, and then uh, the the what the kid from China, the Chinese yeah, yeah. kid too, yeah. But yeah, Very there's not true. very many of them. But um, it, it's definitely I think they've learned kind of it's a it's a efficiency uh, thing with the double. They can be able to do it. I mean, I, even Jonathan credits that. I mean, Jonathan credit the fact that he was single. And then he, once he did his adaptation from a single double double, that was when he, you know, markedly went a lot further. Yeah. So you you got you got a lot of more power when you do the double going into the second phase. I think you know, and I think consistency wise, my you know, my, just my opinion on it is just um, when you time it up and consistency wise, I think that when you uh, use your double i think it keeps you in better postural integrity meaning that like you don't have as many rotational factors um you're able to stay tall on top of your hips better i think when you you know use a single i think it's really easy for it to start to churn your body to rotate because a lot of times you know your arm will t tend to go past midline which kind of creates rotation and so you know it, and you create rotation you're long on the ground longer when you use double you know, you tend to get off it better. And yeah, you have a better block, definitely. In the triple jump, what do you think is the most difficult technical parts of each phase? Um, definitely the, uh, if you know, you can go back and watch um, Teddy's jump, 1804. And look, you look at his foul that was probably close to the world record in, in 13. And I think the hardest thing for athletes in the triple jump, especially off the hop, is it is getting not setting up the jump so what you want is you want a lot of horizontal hip displacement off of the first phase meaning that from the point your foot hits the board to the point it comes off the board your hips want to move horizontally and if you have any sign of lowering or trying to you know gather you're going to go vertical first and, and or you're going to go more vertical than you want it to be And so, you know, I always use the term with all the talks about like skipping a rock on the water. And that's really what you're trying to do is you're trying to stay low. And so by I think the hardest off the hop is making sure that the foot is close to your center of mass at takeoff and that you don't change much into preparation on the board. I mean, I, I like I love it because I, I have such great video of Teddy's 18 before jump, but 
man, you don't, if you were to like put a piece of paper in front of it, you'd have no idea where the board is until he hits it because he doesn't change his posture. He doesn't set up for the board or anything. He just runs off it, runs through it and runs off it, which is amazing. And then um, I think that sets up everything. I mean, so from there off the hop, you move horizontally and then that free leg thigh, you want to get to parallel. And if that thigh can get to parallel and it drops long, then it cycles great. Um, you know, and, and I think the timing happens fantastic where when you hit back off that cycle, it comes closer to your center of mass and everything times up better. Uh, honestly, I think the hop, the step is, is such a chord is such a, um, relationship with, with the hop. I mean, if you go too high, or you set up too much and, and go and have too many braking forces, your step is going to be altered. I mean, it's going to be shorter. But if you can, you know, get into that position, your step is going to be exactly where you want it to be. I mean, it's going to be extended. It's going to be out. It's going to be in a great position. Um, and then from the step, you, obviously, you want to get the free leg thigh again parallel, uh, chest up, keeping postural integrity. And then the jump, um, I think a lot of young triple jumpers they try to land off it they forget that they have to jump first and then land and so i think those are probably you know the factors for each one and so if you can get the run and the hop great i think that sets up a lot of the step and obviously sets up a lot of position for the jump and so um it's just i never get too excited about someone who's uh you know gone two phases and or hop a step and they, you know, go out to almost 12 meters because I've never seen someone finish that because, you know, they've lost so much speed or they're so out of position to try to go so far or a female who almost lands in the pit because they're extending themselves. They lose so much speed that I, I don't think it's benefit. I think that the biggest thing is be in position and try to maintain as much speed. So if you're running 10 meters into the board, then hopefully you still have about eight meters left off when you get to the jump and the only way you can do that is by staying low and you know being in good positions you've worked with a lot of great athletes for the years um what are the biggest challenges they face on their journey um in the u.s uh basically the biggest factor is uh, you know we did we did analysis and study and basically we saw that most um, on the female side, it kills us because in, in Europe, the whip, you know, you, you guys, they, they in gymnasium and in, in athletics, you guys do it right. You, you're taught how to bound and run at a very young age. And in the U.S., uh, that's not the case. And so a lot of times, the first time they saw a triple jump was when they were, or even anything like that looks like it is when they're in high school. And they're usually taught by a very novice person who either just did the event or they're just kind of like okay this is how the event looks and so um and so if they're lucky in high school they have a decent coach and they jump well um but by the time they get to college again you know <clears throat> there's some good triple jump coaches out there but again a lot of times they can get to college and they're taught by someone who you know either did it but doesn't have the full knowledge of it And then they're done, and maybe they've jumped about 1350. Um, and to be successful, you have to jump 1450. Now, I believe that more of our American women can do it, but they just don't have the finances to stay in, in the event and keep training and keep uh, pushing towards that. And the triple jump for the women definitely, I feel like it's an older event. I feel like, you know, the, the older they get, the better they get. I mean, you look at Catherine, she's what, 33? Um, I think Yulemar and this young generation is doing really well, but for a long time, a lot of the really good jumpers were, you know, in their late 20s and so forth, and or early 30s, and so we lose our women there. And then on the men's side, <clears throat> I mean, in the U.S., our problem is we just have so many good triple jumpers. I mean, we've got, you know, you've got Christian and, and Will, who are arguably, you know, one and two, and then you've got, uh, um, you know, Chris Bernard, Omar Craddock, uh, Chris Carter, Donald uh, Scott, um, Matthew O'Neill, um, the kid, uh, I forget his name. Um, Keandre Bates. Uh, yeah, Keandre Bates. I mean, those are right there, you know, those are what, seven guys who all jumped over 17 meters. And then there's a, you know, good group of uh, college kids who are, you know, who are right 
just below that line. And so, um, I think it's hard. And, and then, uh, and then get, you know, getting to that next level. I mean, it seems like Christian and Will have, have since 2012 or 11, you know, you got to jump 1750 to be in the top two and then, you know, uh, get to that next level. And so that it, it makes it hard. It makes it hard for uh, both men and women to, uh, be successful in that event right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost as hard to, stand on the podium at the U.S. championships that it is at at Olympic Games or at the World Championships? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, it, it's, I mean, our trials next year is going to be crazy. I mean, you <laughs> yeah, think about yeah. it. I mean, and you just, you have some of the other lines, you know, it's like Chris, when he made the team in 16, he really wasn't the favorite. I mean, if you look at the favorite going into the year, it was kind of almost like you didn't know what Dendy was going to do, but I mean, I looked at it. I mean, I had this conversation with Chris and uh, and Troy because I had trained them both, and I said, you know, you guys really should look at training for another country. And Chris's like father is from Trinidad, so we started looking at you know going to Trinidad, and then uh, you know Troy obviously is from Guyana, so Troy went to Guyana because you know it was easier for him to make the team. You know, and and I you know I sat there and I said, Chris, there's a good chance you could jump 1740 and not make the team because you know dendy had a foul that was like close to 18 meters um you know um i think uh omar had just come off his great year where he jumped i think 1752 and he and he was in bronze medal until uh nelson passed him on his last attempt in beijing and so the favorites were omar and i mean it literally went uh christian will uh, Dendy or, or, or probably Omar and then Dendy and then Chris was probably the fifth best and you know and then you still had Chris Carter and Donald Scott and those guys too and so I was just kind of like man this could be tough to make and so in 16 you know Chris makes the team which was you know amazing I mean it was so emotional and everything else like that and then in 17 he it, that really established him I mean that really made him go like you know what I belong here and then that only make the Olympic team. Then in 17, you know, he missed the medal by two centimeters and, you know, he jumped 1748 and got second at USA's and, and, you know, the rest is history. And now, you know, he's looking to jump 1770, 80 plus this year. And so, you know, but if you look from the spot, I mean, Christian and Will have been pretty dominant and knock on wood, they stay healthy. I mean, you know, it, it, it may take 1750 plus just to make the U S team next year. And so, uh, and it's got to happen at the trials, you know, and so uh, it's going to be really interesting because you've got you know six six guys who want to make the team for sure. I mean, well, not six guys who want to make the team. There's twenty guys who want to make the team, but six guys who really, really have a great shot. And you don't know who's going to step up and end up being you know good over this next year or so. Yeah. And what about this year then? You, as we all know, it's. Uh... A world championships coming up but it's uh, it's held as late as in October so what uh, do you think about uh, about this and how are you going to plan the training ahead of uh, Doha well I was I was a little disappointed because they sat there and really there's no reason for the championship the world championship to be that late really I mean because uh, what are they what is it was funny because Doha was talking about how they could air condition the stadium and stuff like that. I'm like, well, if you can air condition the stadium, then why don't you just hold it in September, you know, or, you know, why are we waiting till the end of September, October? We could have had this in August, really. Um, Cause they're supposed to have it. That's, you know, I think uh, 78 degrees, which is about, uh, I don't know what, 24 degrees at all times. And so I was kind of like, okay, it's weird to have it that way if you have air conditioning in the stadium. But um, luckily, I work. I'm, you know, I've worked with the Korean Federation. I'm actually was born in Korea, so uh, I work with their federation, uh, doing a little bit of work and so forth like that. So I've, I've, uh, I have, uh, you know, history with working with athletes that need to get ready in October. And so it was kind of like, oh, okay, we're on the Asian schedule basically this year because that's. T- that's very typical for Asian countries like, you know, Japan, China, um, Korea, because they, they actually don't really do indoors and they, you know, concentrate on their national games, which are in October. And so, um, 
for us, we didn't start training until January. And uh, we won't have our first meet until Guadalupe, which is in May. And uh, so really, like, it's just everything got pushed back. But the biggest thing for us is that from the conclusion of the World Championships in October, our Olympic trials are nine months later. So there's going to be some it's going to be a really short window. And so I planned already this ahead. I don't know if you noticed Will and Brittany and a few of them didn't really even compete last year. They actually took pretty much the whole summer off. And that was knowing that this is what we were going to do this year is that they were going to have a very, very short break um, before they um, got ready for 2020 and Olympic trials and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. With Clay, he focused on his music last year. Exactly, and that was planned way ahead to sit there and, and be like, okay, let's do your music and let's, uh, you know, just, and he got married. I mean, there was, we knew those kind of factors, and so we yeah. were kind of like, um, let's just concentrate on life right now and, and take this break because you're going to need it. Yeah, and now with, with the knowledge you have now, um, would you have changed something uh, in your own training when you were younger or, or not? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I trained like a crazy guy. I literally, I was pulling myself off the track almost every day. Like I just, I trained like a monster. Like I felt like if I wasn't like throwing up or sick or doing something like that, I didn't train good that day. And so it was stupid. I mean, it was just dumb training. And so uh, um, it's funny, it, it, everything comes full circle because in 2020, I actually looked to come and live at the center. And at the time, Jamie Nieto was out here. And I was looking to see, okay, do, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, in 2000, sorry, not 2020, 2000. <laughs> um, that's how old I'm getting. I'm forgetting 20 years. But in 2000, I looked to come out to the training center, and I actually stayed out for three months and trained with Jamie Nieto. And um, um, and I just I didn't like it. I need more mental stimulation. It just wasn't enough for me. And, you know, come full circle, I, I'm now the director at the center, you know, some uh, – you know, 13, 14 years later. And so, um, it, and at the time they didn't have coaches and everything else like that. And so I lived in Wisconsin. It wasn't the best place to be from a standpoint of, you know, training just because it's, it's cold a lot and we're indoors a lot. And so, um, but I, I'm never going to sit there and be like, Oh, I made terrible decisions because it helped me be the coach who I am today. So definitely, uh, happy about where i'm at okay then we have some questions from our instagram followers okay um let's see if i can pronounce this name uh shoutling 66 wonders how often you are your athletes train barefoot uh we do something barefoot every day So it doesn't necessarily have to be like bounding or, or anything like that, but we, we try to do some kind of barefoot stuff. Either we'll do things like, uh, you know, barefoot walking in the sand or we'll do, you know, sand drills. Uh, we'll, we'll do grass strides or cool down barefoot. We'll do, um, uh, um, like pickup marbles. We'll do ankle exercises, foot exercises, toe exercises, whatever it may be. And so, Those are ways of just keeping the foot strength strong because in the U.S. we're so like modernized that a lot of the kids don't tend to be, you know, barefoot. But it's funny if you look at like the African kids or the kids from the islands who live in warm places, their feet are pretty strong because they're barefoot a lot. And so uh, we have to be conscious of that. Europeans definitely and us have to be conscious of it because, you know, we don't get to, uh, you know, keep our foot strength. I mean, I learned it from... Uh, Uh, Paralympic guys. I mean, there's a guy who has no arms and he's like one of the top Paralympic uh, archery guys in the world. And he only has two feet and he types and he, and he eats and he does his bow and arrow. He drives with his feet. And I'm sitting there going, mm -hmm. that's pathetic. Like we, I can't even like, you know, walk on hot or I can't walk on rocks because my feet hurt, <laughs> you know, from it. And this guy can like, you know, type and do everything. And, and that really shows how, you know, really uh, complex the feet are and how much they can really use. I mean, they're almost as have as much nerves and senses as our hands, but because we're in shoes and on our feet a lot, we, we lose a lot of that. So I make sure that we do barefoot stuff and things like that to make sure we uh, try to, you know, keep our feet healthy. Yeah. And then Gabriel Morias Oliveira 
wonders what is the first bad habit you try to correct when it comes to triple jumpers um posture posture because the everybody a lot of triple jumpers want to try to like uh really create flexion at the hip so they try to like really like power it and, and move forward so i need to keep them you know i, I need to keep them upright we, we call it postural integrity and, and keep their posture good through everything. And I mean, whether it's sprinting, running, uh, jumping, whatever, everybody wants to lose posture all the time. But, you know, it's the expression, it's easier to hit a straight nail than a bent nail. So we want to make sure posture is good. Okay. And then Clay.Odell44, he wants to have free tips for triple jump beginners. Um, I would say that learning how to land um, flat foot. I mean, if I'm, if I'm dropping off of boxes, like, you know, it only has to be like a 10, 20 centimeter box, but learning to land flat foot. And uh, then after you learn how to land flat foot, then responding off the ground, landing flat foot, because a lot of young athletes will land on the ball of their foot, which is, you know, very ineffective and, and uh, actually can create a lot of injuries. And so, um, but really learning how to how to land, I would say, and learning how to uh, time and synchronize the arm. So, um, I mean, a lot of the drills that we do are rudimentary. And so, like I say, if you go to my website, Maximum Velocity Athletics, there's a whole bunch of free videos on rudimentary drills and simple drills and stuff, and they can they can see them there. Yeah, and they're free, so that, that's even better. Yeah, great tip, great. <laughs> Uh, okay, at last, uh, who do you want to see in the Triple Jumpers podcast? Um, you, did you have Will yet? No, no, I no we got to get Will then. I mean, obviously you had Chris, so you got to get Will um, for sure. Um, we got to get Will in there. Um, you know, I, you know who I actually like too. Have you guys had Chris Carter? No, no, actually, I like I like, I like Chris Carter too. Not just because from the standpoint of. Uh, He's good at the triple jump, but he he's a he's a voice for um, um, you know just changing the sport and he, you know and stuff like that. And I like that. You know, I like his uh, his view for that. And obviously Christian. I mean, you know, Christian's great. Did you guys have Omar yet? No, no. But yeah, yet. so obviously, you know, Omar, Christian, Chris would be good. And then you know, get European. I I don't know who. Oh gosh, I'm trying to think who would be. I mean. Obviously, you can get like Max Hess, or uh, I think uh, I think he would speak enough English. But Nelson would be great. I mean, Nelson's been around for such a long time. Yeah, um, he would be fantastic. And then, uh, um, and that, but uh, if you could get the unicorn, that would be awesome. If you could get a Jonathan, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll try to fix him. <laughs> Next time I'll see him, I'll make sure that hey, Triple Jumpers wants to do a podcast. Make sure you talk to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, can, that would be that would be fantastic there. if you could yeah. get him. That would be awesome. Yeah, and and Chris so. Bernard actually recommended Chris Carter also. Yeah, Chris is a good. He he wants change in the sport. He wants the athletes to have more power. Like he would, you know, he's the kind of guy who would, uh, um, you know, do something about it. I I, I mean, I'm not there in in my career because I have you know I work for USA Track and Field, so I have to be careful with what I do. But I mean, I would love potentially one day to. You know, when, when, once I start kind of winding my career down to like maybe create something where we have a, you know, triple jump on the road or street or in a mall or something like that, start doing more stuff like that. That would be fantastic, you know, to really highlight the event because it's, it's pretty awesome. And it's a scary time for the triple jump right now because they're going to cut events from, uh, you know, we don't know. But I mean, if you if you're just an outsider looking in and you have any sense of knowledge of the events, I mean, you know, they're cutting the Diamond League from uh 14 to 12 and so you know you look at that and you're like well um who what diamond links are they going to cut and so um that's the first one and then they're cutting events i mean they're going from uh what is it down to 24 it's events 18. total right yeah is that what it was is it 18 each right now 18 yeah 18 down to 14 now right or something like that yeah, so something. if you sit there and you look at that i mean um i look at from a standpoint what you know what what events would you cut and i'm sitting there going if you 
if you look at it, triple jump could potentially be one. I mean, triple jump, um, and not saying they'd cut it, but you know, they're saying that like, uh, they'd have it at some events, but they would be non diamond league. They'd have to create something else obviously for, for it. Cause they're not going to cut it from the Olympic thing. But if it's cut from the diamond league, then, you know, what potentially could they cut it from the Olympics one day? And, and that would be a travesty and cause it's one of the older events. And so, um, you know, I look at it, the triple jumps in danger, the 200s in danger. Uh, I think the, the discus is in danger. I mean, you look at the events, they've already, excuse my language, bastardized at, uh, in track and field. And it seems that way. I mean, they put us at, you know, you had two of the greatest athletes that could have done something and put us at nine thirty in the morning or nine o'clock in the morning at, uh, in Rio, you know, which is just ridiculous. And we still, yeah. the athletes still jump far, but it's just. You know, if, if that's how they feel about it, then and then it was disappointing because Rio is a country that has long had a history of triple jump, and so to sit there and know that a country like Rio would do that to the schedule, then then you wonder what you know the powers that be would do uh, to the triple jump overall. And it's sad because it's become honestly one of my favorite events. So yeah, yeah, and actually at the first modern Olympics in 1896, the triple jump was the very first event there so yeah it's old it's very old yeah i mean perfect example of history right there yeah you know and you see it i mean they i've been on the diamond league for a while and they'll have us pre-schedule we'll be a diamond league event but we'll be on the pre-schedule before everything starts and uh you know and and it's uh you know certain places obviously like prefontaine they love it because christian and will put on such a big show and stuff but uh you know a lot of times i've been there and you know we're you know i think it was in rome we were you know before the two-hour window that the event started and stuff so so yeah it, it's a it's definitely a uh unsure time um, i mean obviously nothing's changing for the olympics and the world championships but uh, uh the outlook of the triple jump could change after you know 2019 um, definitely into 2020, but uh, hopefully, you know, people like yourself and myself and stuff will create something even cooler from it. Maybe more street jumps or something like that. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, we have a couple of meets, uh, street meets in Europe, but it's it would be fun to to have more of those. Oh yeah, it's hard in the triple jump too because <laughs> you need so much runway, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like long jump where you can sit there and put 150 feet and you're good, you know, or, or uh, right about 45 meters. But you know, you have to have about 60 meters for the triple jump, so yeah. <laughs> makes it a little bit more difficult. And it, it was cool when they did the um, in the Alpines. They did. Oh yeah, yeah, that was really cool. The French Federation. I missed it. I just was in Europe for like, gosh, a month and they were going to do it. And, uh, I just was like, I got to get home. And so I'm kind of mad. I missed it though. That would have been so much fun. So, yeah. So unfortunately it was just a one year thing, right? Yeah. I think, I think that. Yeah. We'll have to try to get, you know where I actually wish we could do another meet siestria. Remember they used to really long jump and high jump really, or triple jump, uh, long jump really far up there. But I'd love to try to like one day, you know, I don't know, be able to get back up there because that was where you know all those guys jumped 899 and you know uh saladino supposedly set the world record but the guy was standing in front of the wind gauge i think it was up there yeah. but it's supposed to be like what seven thousand feet or something like eight thousand or something like that and uh the winds are supposed to be like pretty good and you know they jump farther and i was like man that'd be awesome if they could put a triple jump back up there and long jump a uh, beep so yeah okay um Thank you so much for taking part in the podcast. It it was a pleasure to have you on the show, and I'll me personally, I will take many good things with me from from this episode. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, and uh, have a good day. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Cheers. It was very very interesting to hear some thoughts from such a world class coach as he is, Jeremy Fisher. He had so many good tips and gave me some really good thoughts on how to be a better triple jumper. I really, really liked this episode. And I definitely recommend you to follow Jeremy on Instagram because he uploads a lot of different videos on drills, etc. there. And his name 
on Instagram is Jeremy F H J. So make sure to follow him. And also make sure to visit his website, MaximumVelocityAthletics.com, to get even more tips. And if you want to suggest a guest or have any questions, send an email to triplejumpers18 at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. We're soon back with another episode. Until then, have a good time. Bye. Tremendous speed once again. And he's, oh my goodness, that is huge. It's a white flag for the Cuban. Fédit Tango pour la postérité.